1: Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. We're looking back on a weekend where it wasn't quite to be for the USMNT who took on Colombia in a game of mixed quality, but there were plenty of positives and we don't need to vamp about the valuable lessons learned in this January camp. In England, we got the magic of the FA Cup where Liverpool played Brighton and once again messed it up. And Wrexham almost gave Sheffield United a black eye on a day when co-owner Rob McElhenney was watching the Eagles fly. And on the continent, Juventus stumbled and Milan crumbled. Real Madrid were held and Bayern were nearly felled. And Napoli are flying high and dreaming thanks to a wonder strike from Victor Ossiman, Almost rhymes. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man whose idea of a great January camp is setting up a tent in the backyard, roasting some s'mores... Oh, no, that's that's my idea of a good January camp. Taylor Rocco, hello.
2: <laughs> I mean, it could be both. I don't know. Maybe you do that in the stadium. Uh, there weren't that many people there. I'm sure you could have found a little spot where you could have set up a bonfire and roasted some marshmallows. Why not? I'm sure
1: California code would allow that in a stadium. Sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah you might not be allowed to have a fire period in California. So never mind. <laughs> I take that back. Don't do that. That might get you in trouble.
1: Well, joining us, Taylor, a man who might have the answer to that question, uh, fire codes and otherwise, uh, Joe (laughs) Lowry, uh, how's camping in California been for you?
3: Uh, It it was good. It was really, really nice. I ended up not being able to make it out to that game against Columbia, but still really enjoyed being there and and getting to cover the team in person and, and get to put some, it's not faces to names because you still know the players and you know the coaches and you know all these figures, but to be able to interact with those people a little bit, I do have some bad news for both of you. I uh I, I don't know about California fire code. So I, I can't answer this s'mores question. I really apologize.
1: Oh dear. You gotta watch out for the bears when you're camping there. That's all you I do. Know. You do. <laughs> you you really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well Joe, you, you didn't make <laughs> I it. Remember
2: to... a park ranger once told us that uh in Yosemite that the the, like, line between the smartest bear and the dumbest tourist was was pretty, like, straight across. So they had to think about how to make their, their stuff, like, bear safe, but also still <laughs> allow for tourists to operate it. Uh, and it was a really difficult task, apparently. So, yeah, uh, I I take your point, right? Wow. Hang on, what are we making bear safe now? <laughs> oh, just anything in general. I think it was the trash cans that they still had to be functional, but, like, Uh-oh. if they made them too complicated... The dumbest tourists might not know how to throw things away, uh, but bears could get into them too easily. It's a delicate balance. It's a delicate ecosystem of dumb tourists and smart bears.
1: So there's a little Venn diagram and the bit in the middle is very small.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Homer (laughs) Simpson is, I
1: think, the uh, the overlap. Very good indeed. All right. Plenty to talk about from this weekend just past. Uh... Joe why don't we start off I'd like to know how your experience was with this January camp I believe you went to some training sessions you didn't make it to the uh, the game at Carson at the weekend but you did you're one of the uh, small subsets of the human existence who went to the other game that's uh, true so, yeah tell us about your experience.
3: I like I like being one of like eleven thousand and five hundred, whatever that number was. Wow, I, I didn't realize that I could be such a small. I could be part of such a small percentage of the population. No, I mean, it was great. This is a low stakes camp. It felt like a low stakes camp. There wasn't a lot of media there. A lot of outlets didn't didn't send people to cover it in person. so I was I was glad to be able to be there and, and get to observe the beginning. what what really is interesting, I think about this camp in particular, more so than past, January camps, which sort of rightfully get a a shtick. They all have value, but they're also not like the biggest thing that's going to be on the USMNT's calendar. Though There were a couple of unique things here. The first one is, this is the start of a new World Cup cycle. That game against Serbia was the team's first time on the soccer field since the World Cup. And a couple of those players were in the World Cup that we saw play at Bank of, nope, not Bank of California Stadium, BMO Stadium. Newly named. Get it right, Joe. Get it I right. I know. I know. I know. I know. How am I going to get my MLS show money if I if I keep screwing these things up? Um, the, and the other the <laughs> other aspect here is like this is this was a January camp roster filled with a lot of new names. There were a bunch of uncapped players, a bunch I think eight Olympics eligible players for next summer. There are a lot of players in here that that could actually help build out this U.S. team over the next three years. So that, for me, was probably the most interesting on-field angle here. you got to take everything with a, a, a grain of salt. But seeing a number of different players that, that Taylor and I, you and I talked about last week, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll talk some more about different players and, and maybe even some more of those same players here on this show. But seeing those players up close and in person, I think, was, was helpful for me ahead of a new World Cup cycle.
1: Taylor, before we get into the action on the field and maybe talk a bit about the players who got their um, their game time in this most recent friendly, can you sell me the idea of this window this is a non-fifa window so as someone as a european seeing this window i i particularly in an, in a in a cycle where there's not a permanent manager what do we what can one learn from this because i yeah. i look at a window like this if there was an england equivalent and a lot of the players who are in the england team don't go to that camp i would say why have that camp what is the value can you can you sell me on this idea No. Uh, (laughs) That is my answer. Um, I can give you
2: reasons why I think it can be interesting. Uh, I do not think I will be able to sell you, Ryan Bailey, on this camp. And I think a lot of people, uh, that is the same. Because it's not like the the first team. It's not even maybe the second team. It's maybe not even the third team. And it's not the permanent manager. And I think that is a big difference in in past iterations, especially uh, Greg Berhalter's first camp. It is the January camp, and it's when we get to see an idea of of what his team is going to look like, what like what some interesting wrinkles are going to be. That's where we have Nick Lima being uh, a secondary central midfielder when the U.S. is in possession, and we just start to see some new things, whereas with this camp, we're not really going to get that. Uh, Joe and I talked about it, the Serbia game, and I think I equated it to the Dave Sarakin era when he was the interim manager for a year, and it was sort of seeing new faces – uh, seeing some familiar faces brought back in and getting opportunities. But for the most part, I think it's just a chance to get new faces into camp, get them some minutes together, get them to experience what it is to play for the U.S. There's a couple dual nationals in here who could still go the other way. And so I think it's all just sort of getting reps, getting minutes, putting some people in the shop window, cough, cough, Matthew Hoppy. Uh, But for the most part, no, I don't think it's going to be a thing that will make somebody watch this game and come away thinking, "Yep, this is the ge- this is the national team for me. This is the exciting game I was waiting for." I think it's it's if anything for me, it's a nice way to watch the U.S. in a sort of relaxed way. It's not a World Cup qualifier. It's not building up to a World Cup. It's just sort of interim manager, new faces. Let's see what happens. And I think the answer is not all that much. Uh, we had some. I wouldn't say even say standout performances. I think we had some good performances, some expected performances, a few names that I think we will continue to see, a few names that maybe need some more uh, reps at club level or just need to kind of develop their game a bit more. But I don't think, Ryan, I'm going to be able to sell you on it because I myself am not entirely sold on it. Uh, Joe, I think, is a bit more optimistic about January camp than I.
3: I am a little bit, especially when it comes to this camp. So this is one of those cases, Ryan, where I, I don't even think we can compare the U.S. and England. So how many, my question for you, Ryan, how many spots do you think are up for grabs in any given important international window on England's roster? Right. So let's figure it's a 26-man roster. Yeah. What I mean, 20 of those are filled? And, and you feel confident about what's What is that number? Two or three. Okay, so two or three are available. For the yeah. U.S., I would argue... I like, thought you were saying two or three uh, you feel confident in. No, I'd say <laughs> wow. sorry, I'd
1: say there were two or three slots where you yeah, have Jude I, Bellingham, I
3: Jude Bellingham and Jude Bellingham are the three that That's Ryan really. It, yep, like. Those are the three. <laughs> the US, I would argue at least half of the squad, like 13, yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 players. Uh, maybe the US has 10, 11 core players that you feel really good about. That's why I think this is different and adds more value for a program like the US and in like a, a mid a mid-major on the international level than it does for England, who is very much like the Kentucky of basketball. Maybe not Kentucky. Maybe that's a bit kind to England. But you get the idea there's differences here. The U.S. needs to have chances to find and identify players that can help build out that core. And so that's, that's why I do think this is really valuable. And the other part that I appreciate about January camps, Taylor, you mentioned it almost as an aside, but I think the dual national thing is really very real. For the U.S., Brandon Vasquez in this camp's a dual national has real ties to Mexico, like his family gro- growing up, watching Mexico play, watching Liga MX every weekend. That that that's the kind of tie we're talking about here with a player like Brandon Vasquez. Alejandro yeah. Z- Zendejas plays in Liga MX and has played for the Mexican national team. Having a, a pretty low key, relaxed camp. This, maybe this sounds silly, but having a camp like this to just let guys hang out and, and be guys and enjoy spending time together playing soccer, I think is super valuable. So. Yeah. That's the other aspect here besides just like the U.S. needs good players and maybe this helps them find good players.
1: Okay, I guess I get, I get your point there, Joe, but I guess the point I'd make is how, how and giving these new players and filling these slots is important. But when you're playing against, say, a Columbia side, 19 of the 20 players had less than four caps, you're playing against sides who are also putting out uh, not-so-strong lineups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What do you learn if those new players you introduced to the environment aren't playing with the regular USMNT players and they're playing against the weakened side as well? I, that's where I struggle to see the, the the value, I suppose.
3: Sure, and and that's where we have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt, right? I think that's a totally fair criticism and it's a reminder not to anoint anyone or to write anyone off after these January camp games because the the US players, like you said, aren't playing with the best of the best, so they're probably not going to look as good as they could or really stand out like a sore thumb in the same way that they could. And the same is true for the for the other side of the field. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not really going to disagree with any of that, but I think this is one of those cases where you do look for players that stand out. You do look for players that are a level above or have a set of good moments, and then you still keep all the the caveats in the back of your head. And like I said, you don't annoy anybody off of these games. Yeah.
2: Re- Joe, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was asking, like, if we should be concerned about these results. And I was saying, no, definitely not. Uh, And that if you want a comparison, I said it was Alabama or Alabama and Georgia, but I would now change that to it would be like if you had the recruiting class of Tennessee playing the recruiting class of Vanderbilt (laughs) in like a preseason game just to see like who are they who's like the next potential quarterback a few years from now for some like decent but not great college football sides like that's what I think these are. It's sort of. Who might be the ones to step up? Who might we see in more camps who can sort of rise above the rest at that same level? We're going to talk about Arsenal Man City later, and that's one where I feel like you had two incredibly good teams and they sort of balanced each other out. If you have two sort of mediocre versions of their national teams playing each other, you get to see who can stand above that mediocrity.
3: And the answer was a couple people. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. I like, Taylor, I love that analogy with Tennessee Vanderbilt. The only other thing I can think of is the East-West Shrine game, which is like random college players that are maybe yeah. good enough for the NFL playing against each other before the draft. That, that was a deep cut that I had to dig way back into my memory <laughs> banks to pull out. But yeah, I think, I think that's a fair comparison here.
2: Ryan watches that every year. It's his
3: favorite game. Oh I yeah. saw,
1: is there an a, I saw an advertisement yesterday for an NFC-AFC flag football game next week. I think what that's that? like the new
3: Pro Bowl. I think that's the new oh Pro Bowl. God. I'm
1: not entirely
3: sure, but that's basically Ugh. what the Pro Bowl was before. So maybe now they're just leaning into it. Goodness me!
1: All right, let's talk less <laughs> about that, more <laughs> about um, US nil, Colombia nil. I should have mentioned the scoreline earlier, probably in this podcast. Hey. But here we are. Uh, Twenty-seven thousand sellout in Carson for this one. Let's let's assign some thumbs to this game in this window, Joe. Um, obviously, no wins in this January friendly, but January friendly series. But we don't ascribe too much meaning to that, do we? So no. where do we place our thumbs on this overall um, window? I've got a feeling it's going to be turning to the sky for you.
3: Yeah, I do give my thumbs up to this January camp in particular. I think pretty much all of the objectives were accomplished on the field and in camp. So we got to see some dual nationals involved. We saw Alejandro Zendias against Serbia. We saw Brandon Vasquez in both games. Those are, are the two probably highest profile Mexican-American dual nationals that are for grabs, is kind of a weird way to say it, but you get the idea. We got to see those players, and I think both played well. So that's that's big. And then we did get to see a lot of, of young players that could help build out the core. So I've kind of set all my thoughts on that. To look at this game in particular, though, I do want to give some thumbs up to specific players. Brandon Vasquez comes off the bench in this game. Uh, he, he comes on for Jesus Ferreira in the second half. He doesn't get another goal like he did against Serbia, but he consistently found good spots yet again in the box. Matthew Hoppy was on the left wing. Thumbs down to him because Hoppy had the ball a bunch and almost never found the right pass into the box. Brandon Vasquez was getting goal side. He was getting in front of defenders in the box to, to really provide his teammates with good passing options and windows to get him the ball, to get him a shot on goal. And that stuff just wasn't happening. But overall, Taylor, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Brandon Vasquez or other players that you thought impressed in this Columbia game? Because I do think there were a few that stood out.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, Brandon Vasquez scoring. Uh, Right there, any number nine scoring intentionally uh, looking in your direction, Haji Wright, I I think I'm going to be excited about. But then also, I think Jesus Ferreira. Joe, I feel like you got some flack for saying that we saw the importance of Jesus Ferreira and why he Mm -hmm. will continue to be involved. He plays in this game, gets 63 minutes, doesn't score, but is exactly what we expect from him when he is playing for the U.S. He's facilitating yeah. attack and play. He has that great moment in the first half, I believe, when he receives one sort of in a little little amount of space and turns and plays forward, and it's a great ball in for, I believe, Hoppy, who uh, shoots wide. But those sort of moments where he's facilitating an attacking play, he's moving off the ball. I think that was a thing we didn't see much of against Serbia. We saw a little bit better against Colombia, yeah. uh, and I thought he was a big reason why there was slightly more off-the-ball movement. So I think Jesus Ferreira continued to do some of the things we've come to expect from him, not scoring goals, that would have been nice to see, but yeah. I, I still think he is uh, going to be an important part of the U.S.'s attacking plans.
3: I, I think he'll still be in this pool for sure, and, and that's basically what I wrote is it's not time to to toss Jesus Ferreira out the window. It's a new cycle. Brandon Vasquez is the shinier number nine right now of the two of them, but I mean, my notes for Ferreira in this game against Colombia, not exhaustive, but here's a lot of what I wrote mm. down 12th minute, good ball to Areola, who can't control it. Then I have good pressing. Then I have 17th minute, wins foul, dropping in during buildup. 30th minute, fantastic drop and touch to Aronson. 32nd minute, great ball to Hoppy. I think that's the one you just talked about, Taylor. 44th minute, good forward pass to Areola. I mean, he was he was influencing the game. He was pulling a lot of the strings in the attack. Nothing. That's nothing new for Ferreira against this level of opponent. And that's what I qualified in, in, in what I wrote for backfield after this game is Ferreira can do a lot of good stuff, against teams like this and in games like this this match against colombia was very stretched it was fairly open that's that's a good one for ferreira to drop in to find space between the lines and to pull the strings i'm not really convinced he can do it at the highest level i think we need to see more we need to see him improve but he's still young and giving him chances with the u.s maybe not as a starter but as a spot starter and an occasional contributor up top feels feels good to me going forward
2: Yep, uh, I, I liked Walker Zimmerman on the ball uh, in this game. I still think there's a few little defensive moments there. Uh, Aaron Long had significantly more bad moments, I think, on the ball and off the ball. Uh, but Zimmerman, I thought his distribution was pretty good, especially vertically. He goes long for uh, Hoppy in the first like five minutes or so. Hoppy chests it down, lays it off, and the shot goes, I think, right at the goalkeeper. But it's it's a creative shot from Paxton Aronson, but I thought the ball from Zimmerman was good. He has a few more inside the first 30 minutes where I think his distribution is part of why the United States was able to make Columbia a little bit uncomfortable. I still think this game was was sort of, as I agree with Joe, it's kind of open, lots of turnovers, but I didn't think it was particularly exciting from end to end, but I thought Zimmerman's distribution was solid enough, and he doesn't get megged on a free kick uh, for a goal, so that's, I guess, a positive improvement. Uh, But Paxton Aronson is one that I I, I feel like will get a lot of coverage because of the game he had, and I would like to give Anthony Hudson, uh, interim manager, credit for not playing Paxton Pomichol, so I don't make... Nearly as many Paxton Pomacall Paxton Aronson mistakes as I would otherwise. Uh, but I thought in this game, I really enjoyed the energy, the enthusiasm, the willing to take people, willingness to take people on, the willingness to try stuff. I don't know if it always came off for Paxton Aronson. I don't know if he had the physicality necessarily to be able to do that. Uh, so I liked the intent. I don't know if it was maybe efficient enough, Joe.
3: Yeah, I have thumbs middle to Paxton Aronson because feeling. he did he did a lot of good stuff. Right, I mean he was getting in the box. He has two shots in the first half. I think two shots inside the first fifteen minutes. I don't really ding players for shooting and missing. Like I maybe that's me being stupid, but I value getting into good spots way more than I do what happens after the ball leaves their foot and heads towards the goal. I think Paxton Aronson did a really good job of arriving in the box. I think he had some smart touches to kind of bail out his teammates after they put him in bad spots. There's a moment in the fourth minute where Kellen Acosta plays him a ball, and and that really is, it's not a full-on hospital ball, but it's not a a great one either. And Paxson Aronson helps sort of take a a clever touch and get them out of a tough spot there. I liked all that stuff, but I mean, my notes after like the first 15 minutes or so are pretty much all just Paxson Aronson muscled off the ball, 19th minute, muscled off the ball, 30th minute, muscled off. I mean, that was happening over and over again in this game. It's not an indictment on... Aronson's potential or his skill or any of those things it's just a reminder that I mean he's he's a teenager he seems incredibly mature in, in pretty much every aspect but physically right like, like he's just not well built enough yet to really hang in there with a team like colombia who who doesn't have a lot of internationally who didn't have a lot of internationally experienced players on the field but it's still a, a good team I mean we're talking about Gucho Hernandez in this lineup he was in the Premier League like uh, a month ago three months a year ago whatever it was plays for the Columbus crew, Chicho Arango, who plays for LAFC and is, is in the Columbia national team setup on a somewhat regular basis. They have bodies. They have some strong players in this team. Aronson couldn't keep up. I think it's it's not a surprise that Eintracht Frankfurt let him come back outside of a FIFA window for this camp. They don't think he's ready physically for the Bundesliga either. So it's, it's just going to take time with Paxton Aronson. It's not that he's not a good player. I think he's got tons of potential, but I think really we won't see a ton of him on the field in Germany this year. It's probably going to be more of a, a next year thing after he's had a full preseason and an offseason to sort of build and, and bulk and do all that kind of stuff.
1: I think if I had to uh, criticize Paxton Harrison, it would be the spelling of Paxton and it being different to Paxton Plomical. Yep. Having two yep. different spellings of Paxton in the same setup is um, I don't approve.
3: It's it's unkind to all of us who write about this team. I will yeah, say. I mean, it's it, it th- really is just not good. Mm-hmm.
1: His parents did it because it's it's
2: Brendan too, right? Brendan with two e's instead yeah. of an a at the end. I think yep. they they liked the
3: the modern names, but with a little twist on them. Well, and and how first of all, how dare the the Aronsons not check in with the Pomicles to see? Okay, right. your future kid national teamer is spelled mm-hmm. like this. Okay, we should cop. I mean, it's just unbelievable lack of coordination on their part.
1: Yeah, both first names end in ian and both second names end in owen for the aronsons that's crazy wow <laughs> symmetry <Wonderful>. january camp <laughs> this is where we uh, have arrived at yes yeah, so let's take a quick break we come back a little bit more on this game and the camp before we move on to the fa cup and all the action on the continent back shortly
0: this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking USMNT January camp. Taylor, having fun? Oh, so much so much fun. Uh, and I actually am. I enjoy uh,
2: talking about the US in any form. So too does Joe. Ryan, I would say, is being a very good sport. And we're recording this. Uh, obviously, we're, we're capturing the audio, but we can see each other with the video. Ryan has been uh, more engaged than I would have expected, expected. Here is my question for you both. So my understanding of, like, the classical idea of hell, which is, you know, obviously where this conversation was going to go, is the idea that, like, the punishment is appropriate for whatever your sin may have been so if you were a glutton you're like starved uh there's the one tantalus like fed his son to the gods in a feast so he's like starved and can't have water uh my question with that in mind is would ryan bailey's punishment in hell be to have to talk about january camps like really enthusiastically (laughs) would it just be watching the u.s play meaningless friendlies
1: while there's maybe more exciting soccer on is that what it would be for you ryan I think what it would actually be, Taylor. Sincerely, it would be watching international soccer outside of a tournament, whether it's <laughs> England, whether it's US, whether it's anybody. It doesn't. It doesn't get me. Get me going. And I think.
2: I think the with the extension that it's always sort of like, oh, we're going to get back to like the
3: the Premier League season tomorrow, but tomorrow but but it never, never comes. <laughs> it's just always
2: international football over and over again.
3: Can like I? A... Can I add? Can I be a small part of of Ryan's existence here? Yeah. Can I be like in the corner? Typing over and over again, Charlotte are going to win the wooden spoon. Charlotte are going to win the wooden spoon. Charlotte are going to win the wooden spoon. That would really... Like complete oh. this picture. Plus, I w- I want to get involved. I want to
0: help.
2: See, out. I like that idea. I also like the idea of of you or of a, a parody of you, a version of you, Joe, taking frantic notes about games
3: that Ryan could not care less about. <laughs> and I think that also would be like,
2: why? Why are you taking these notes? I have to yeah. know. <laughs> like, and gonna... the Lulu
3: sights down at the same time as well. That's, oh boy, no!
1: Yeah. If we're gonna if we're gonna rewrite uh, wait, uh, Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, I think it would. Be uh, based around yeah, meaningless U.S. friendlies and the Premier League that never comes around the corner. Very good, Uh, Joe. As you said, as we've said,
2: we're going to talk more about uh, like stock up, stock down, uh, individual performers. But I did want to ask you about Eric Williamson, who starts this game, only plays a half. That's one that I know you have been excited about, or had a. You've been like, if not leading that hype train, you've been
3: on there. You've been a passenger. Uh, Did those forty-five minutes uh, make the difference for you? They didn't make the difference for me because I don't think it's enough to really fully tell. But I I've, I've been in the camp that says Eric Williamson probably should have been getting looks f- mm-hmm. for a while now. Once he's healthy, and he he gets injured and, and hasn't been playing a ton with Portland, but did get healthy towards the end of last season. It would have been great to see him at the World Cup. And I, I thought he was I thought he was good against Colombia. That's just not really enough to get me all the way there. Twelfth uh, minute draws a, a good foul on the right side. You could see he, he him wanting to combine as the first half wore on. Has a good ball to Areola in a tight spot in the box in the 14th minute. Uh, there's there's a bunch of these sequences. Has a good through ball to Areola right before halftime, and, and that's when he comes off. Areola draws a foul in that sequence in the 45th minute. I really liked what Eric Williamson brought. I, I liked what he did in this camp really across both games. It's more of like reinforcement I guess of what I already Mm. thought rather than oh my goodness this is the thing that wakes me up to Eric Williamson because I'm not sure he was like that good across these two games or certainly against Columbia. And then
2: one more tease uh, for tomorrow Matthew Hoppe seems to have I don't even know if it's like polarized opinion but it seems to be one that I saw a lot of like Hoppe is washed tweets and a lot of people (laughs) who were frustrated by his performance he doesn't seem to have gotten the best reviews but from the attention I paid to this game, uh, and I'm going to watch it again, which is going to be super fun. Uh, but he seemed fine. So, Joe, I would like to know, uh, like, now, are your thumbs up, down, or middling for Matthew Hoppy? and then we can
3: maybe reevaluate tomorrow? They're not up, and they're not okay. middling. Um, oh, okay. So, I... Yeah, I can table my Matthew Hoppy thoughts till tomorrow. Let's just say, I think, I think there is a fantastic beat soccer career ahead of Matthew Hoppe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good for me. That's the meanest thing I think Joe
2: has ever said about a U.S. player. I <laughs> or really, anything.
3: I really didn't feel good about saying that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, no. I, can... mean, I, mean,
2: I mean that in the sense that, like, even that is not that mean. Like, it's still <laughs> a very nice... Uh, way of phrasing it, it's like David Wallace talking about Michael Scott I mean like what do you want he's <laughs> yeah. a nice guy
1: no I wasn't considering him like, like I think you, you you did that very diplomatically Joe well yeah. bear in mind Taylor Matthew Hoppy has to live in Middlesbrough where beach soccer <laughs> sounds like a pretty idyllic dream I would imagine so Atlanta
3: United almost signed see. Matthew Hoppy. that okay I never mind I <laughs> no, I don't have I can't do this
1: <laughs> let's not do this then let's yeah. uh park uh, USMT chat for tuesday's total soccer show do tune in for that listener plenty more uh to come on that one why don't we turn our attentions to the magic of the fa cup plenty yeah. of drama uh in the fourth round of the fa cup should we start off with a little chat about um the biggest by far the biggest team of the weekend huh. Wrexham, of course. I knew we were doing this. Of course we're <laughs> yes, doing this. Of yes. course we're doing this, Taylor. Uh, Wrexham 3, Sheffield United 3. So there was a lot of interesting debate around this game, Taylor. Um, full, full credit to Wrexham, by the way. A very, very exciting game. Kept it going right until the end and very nearly, it almost felt like oh, they, they well, they did deserve, I will going to say it. they did deserve the win and they mm-hmm. got it snatched away for an equalizer going to a replay um, in, at Bramwell Lane in, was it nine, eight or nine days time? But there's a lot of debate about people talking on the Twitters and the socials about, oh, why are you so invested in this Wrexham team, American fans? There are MLS teams on your doorstep, don't you know? And it's a little bit tiresome, that conversation, isn't it, Taylor? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, the answer is
2: because two celebrities bought Wrexham. Like, yeah. th- that's why. If I mean, there was interest in, in Miami for many, many years before they were even a team because David Beckham was going to be the owner. I think that's always going to turn some heads. And when it's... you know that I love of the ownership group uh, Rob McElhenney is my guy but when it's Ryan Reynolds uh, who is like like famous for being charismatic I I think he is also going to get a lot of attention when Blake Lively is tweeting about her husband watching Wrexham that's going to get a lot of attention and so I think with that in mind it's 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 not surprising that so many uh, different people were interested in this game but I also think like you can have that criticism if you want to, but this is a Rexham team who are trying to get into the into League Two. That is their dream. Playing a team who are in what second place in the championship uh, yep. seem likely to make it back to the Premier League. Like seventy eight something like that places between them in terms of of the the, mm. the ladder in English football, and so. That Rexham, by all accounts, Ryan, I watched uh, like a good chunk of this game, not enough to feel like fully informed on it. By all accounts, Rexham were the dominant team, especially yeah. after the red card in the second half. If anything, it's shocking to me that a team that were one 0 down and had like their two center backs go out injured inside the first like eleven minutes ended up like in the lead and ended up sort of feeling like, oh, this was our moment and we let it slip because they allowed that late late equalizer. It's kind of crazy, and so all that to say that it's a team. From Wales, who don't have a huge population, who aren't like that, like well regarded in 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 English football or British football, and I think that's also always going to appeal to Americans. It's like a hard scrabbled club who are like now on their way up because of American slash Canadian investment, and it, it's maybe like one of the feel good, hey, it's it's still exciting to be an American sort of stories when there's not a ton of national pride necessarily. So now I've made Wrexham into a patriotic story when maybe I shouldn't have, but I think for all those reasons. I don't begrudge anybody for watching Wrexham Sheffield and not watching, say, City Arsenal.
3: No, not at all. I mean, this is the power of of stories, Mm -hmm. just period, but stories in sports in particular. I I, I desperately hope, I saw a lot of this discourse, Ryan, and I I sympathize with a lot of the people saying, you know, all all these fans were hopping on the Wrexham bandwagon. There are American soccer teams that are under-supported around right right around where you live most likely, well, a, a, at least a portion of the reason why those teams are under-supported is because they don't tell stories, right? Or, yeah. or there's not enough motivation for people to change their current sports-consuming habits to go and follow a new team because they don't feel invested in that team. People feel invested in Wrexham. They feel invested in the story. And so this is why I desperately hope Apple and Major League Soccer are taking notes because there's been, for me, there's been a little bit too much smoke around you know, Apple TV and talk about team docuseries and all that stuff. For something not to be in the works at some point, it's probably not going to be this year. I would expect, this is not from anything I know, but just I feel like there's going to be something that comes down the pipeline here before too long in Major League Soccer. But, I mean, this is is the best example I could possibly think of. The best thing to tip Major League Soccer over to the other side and say, hey, we might look silly at times in this docuseries. People are going to make fun of us. People are going to make fun of this team and their players and whatever it is but they're also going to get in. They're going to get invested and they're going to get excited about a team that they they, they just straight up did not care about before. Wrexham and and their story and the FA Cup and and the people they have involved, all of those are like the best examples I could ever imagine to get a team or a a league that's not on board with this kind of storytelling into that camp.
1: Yeah, I think you've totally hit the nail on the head there, Joan. It's all about the storytelling of this team. Um, I I saw some discourse about how LAFC had a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got Will Ferrell. They've got all these celebrity owners as well. Why aren't we paying attention to that? It's because they didn't have anything to say. They didn't have a story. Whereas if you look at Wrexham, they do have a story and they have a history. And I think what's important is you see them warts and all. You see their downs as well as their ups. 100%. Whereas in an American documentary series, maybe even an MLS one, you would not see the warts. You would not see the downs. You would only see the ups. And what we want as fans is to see that it's a roller coaster. We want to see the, the, the lows and the highs. And I, I think, think yeah. that's what you get from, sorry, Taylor, that's what you get from something like the Rexon documentary. You, you don't need to
2: apologize to me for interrupting <laughs> you. I apologize to you. But I would say, <laughs> I
1: think, especially MLS,
2: that that is sort of the problem, is I think there is, especially in American soccer, in world soccer, but especially in American soccer... A fear that if we if we look like we don't know what we're doing, if we yep. look like we're making mistakes, people aren't going to take us seriously. People will dislike us more than they already do, and there is some truth in that. But looking at Welcome to Rexham for a moment, like I have talked many times about how it's maybe not great that Rob McElhenney was going to Twitter to look for like who should they sign, but at the same time there is an like an embracing of we don't know what we're doing but we can try to make this work and that's where like the his conversation with Phil Parkinson that goes forever and he has to really sell him on the club is so captivating because you're seeing a club desperately trying to get a manager that they think will be able to make a difference and i think some teams in the United States wouldn't want to show that vulnerability. They wouldn't want to show that uh, people don't actually want to coach here because we haven't done a very good job. And, and I think that's what makes it so compelling is seeing people like the point of that story is we don't know what we're doing, but we want to make this club great. And we're going to try to find a way to make that happen. I think the first or second episode is them finding out that the pitch was mislaid and now it's going to be another 200,000 pounds to do it properly. Yeah. No, and by the team. way, the pitch looked terrible last it yesterday. Is. <laughs> it did, but no team in the United States is going to want that to be public because oh, we got it wrong. They don't know what they're doing. Somebody's got to be held accountable. And, and I think it's maybe taking itself a little bit too seriously. I think that's a huge part of it. And I think the other thing, not to go fully down this rabbit hole, is yep. pro rel. Yeah, it's just I knew it was coming. They can go up. Hey, there it is. They can work their way up the pyramid. It made me like. I don't think we're ever going to get full pro rel. I think we will get a stage where MLS is so big that we will get some version of like MLS one and MLS two. And it made me want to propose a thing of like, if that's what they do of anybody who wins the US Open Cup gets put into like MLS one. And that way you could have teams really, really go for it in that way, just for some way
1: to get in. Because I think that makes such a more interesting narrative. It does indeed. Uh, my favorite comment uh, that I saw on this subject, uh, a tweet I saw, Rex until I die or until a ce- celebrity I like better buys a different team. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good way of looking at it. But I, I, I appreciated it. I wanted to see this game. I—I yeah. uh, I, I a, a good indicator is my wife watched part of this game with me. And I never, ever get her to watch soccer but because, oh, look, Paul Marlin's got a goal. Oh, look, there's Ryan Reynolds in the, in the crowd. We yeah. watched a documentary together. So it's, it's brought us in there a little bit as well. So, um, yeah, best of luck to Wrexham. ESPN doing the full production with John Champion and everything, yeah. all for it for me. So I'm, I, I like that. Ryan, if
2: you had to choose, uh, in, I, I'm assuming it would be Borough, but if you had to choose between Middlesbrough, uh, Sheffield and Wrexham for where to live, where are you choosing to live and where do you least want to
1: live of those three? Oh, my God. Now's the part oh. of the show where
3: Ryan makes people angry. Yeah.
1: Wrexham's the furthest south, so i live there. There we go. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And they've also got a celebrity I like growing their team. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. See, you're part of the problem, Ryan. There we go. Short, sorry, Sean Bean and whoever's associated with Middlesbrough. Um, not for me. Uh, anywho, yeah, let's move on from Wrexham. How about mm-hmm. we talk about, very quickly, Brighton 2, Liverpool 1. The holders of the FA Cup are out at the fourth round stage. Um, second win for Brighton in two weeks over this particular team, Taylor. How about that winning goal, Kari with the goal of the round? Maybe not the goal of the weekend. We can get to that later. But the goal of the round to uh, to beat this one out. Uh, Brighton, like,
2: hired a wizard, I'm assuming. I don't know what Brighton have done to sort of, like, steal <laughs> the youth away from Liverpool and other clubs. But, man, are they are they looking so, so strong. And you can sign... Their manager, you can sign their key players. They will just keep on keeping on. I thought they would be in trouble when they got rid of Cucurella, and, and yet here we are. They have not missed him very much at all. Uh, for them to knock out Liverpool... I think is once again credit to to the team, to Deserby for what he has done in replacing Potter. But it is also another sort of sign of where Liverpool are, that there isn't going to be investment. Klopp once again ruled that out, uh, that there's not going to be any additional spending in January. So they are who they are, they are where they are, and where they are is a team that looks like they are in need of a refresh, of a rebuild, of I don't even know if they need new ideas, because I think Klopp is still going to be that manager and is still going to be that influential, charismatic figure. But I think they're just a team that has maybe gone as far as they can with some of the personnel they have. I think they will refresh. I think they will get stronger. I think they will be back. But it was telling to me that I saw that result and wasn't shocked that the holders were out, shocked that Brighton had knocked out Liverpool. But it felt more like, yeah,
3: that kind of seems like how things are going. And to to do this without Moises Caicedo, who's angling for a move, We'll likely talk more about him later this week if that move comes, maybe even if it doesn't come. We'll talk transfers as or after the the transfer deadline is closed in most European leagues. But Gassetto wants a move, basically isn't going to train until that happens. I'm sympathetic with a lot of that. I think this is just a, a big uh, a big example for Brighton of how good their talent identification has been. I mean, they've got Pervis Stupinon at left back, gets an assist in this game. They've got Alexis McAllister in central midfield. I mean, so many underrated talents that are probably now more properly rated after the World Cup, maybe even at times bordering on overrated. But there is a lot of quality in this team. There's a reason why they're in sixth in the Premier League right now. There's a reason why they're taking down teams that spend way more than they do in competitions like the FA Cup. Deserby deserves a ton of credit. Those players deserve a ton of credit. Brighton has become, I think, genuinely one of the best stories in certainly in England, maybe in European soccer right now. Thumbs uh, up
1: for the Seagulls. Indeed. And Sorry, Taylor.
2: We're 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 missing Graham Ruffin, obviously. We should clarify that it's because in this game we had Billy Gilmore and Andy Robertson on the pitch at the same time, and that was just too much for him. He was overcome by the vapors. He needed some time to recuperate because he was just yeah. so overjoyed by the yeah. Scottishness of this game.
1: Too, too much stimulus. He's had a pleasure overload, so he needs to recover exactly. for at least another day. It's, so, yeah.
2: it's like a, a small amount of pleasure is a pleasure overload for Graham. <laughs> indeed.
3: A smile. Cracking Probably. a smile. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> Man City won Arsenal nil the Friday night game on the, in the FA Cup. Nathan Ake with the goal for City. Thomas Partey and John Stones getting injuries in this one. Uh, Joe, any thumbs for this? Uh, bear in mind this comes before they meet each other twice in the league in February.
3: Yeah, so, so this is an American soccer show, or at least you know, today it's m- mostly American. So the rule is, when there's a game, you have to pick the American on the losing team to talk about first, because that's just yep. how this thing goes. You don't start yep. with the winning team. You don't start with their Science. strategy. You start with the losing team's American player. So with that in mind, thumbs up to Matt Turner, who I actually thought I did think was good in this game. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see Matt Turner start against like one of the best teams in the world, and, and to have him have a, a pretty good game. He lets a goal in from Nathan Ake. I don't think there's anything he could do about that one. In general, I was pleased with Matt Turner's distribution. He still looks a little bit like uh, a newborn deer who can't quite figure out how to use his legs, but but genuinely, his distribution and his work on the ball has gotten a lot better at Arsenal. He still looks out of control, and I saw Stu Holden tweeting about this. You know, he said at the World Cup, Matt Turner, I guess, to Fox or just somebody uh, you know, my teammates make fun of me because I look like I'm out of control, but things mostly are under control when I'm back there. So that that's a paraphrase of the quote. But I think you can see that from Matt Turner if you go through and watch his actions from this game. Has a couple of nice saves, comes out and, and disrupts Sterling Holland, Holland on a on a sequence in the first half and has some nice passes. Not perfect, but I did like Matt Turner. That's a thumbs up for me. A thumbs, like, middle to down. This is not about this game in particular, but it is a Man City thing that broke this morning. Jao Cancelo going to Bayern yeah. Munich, apparently, for the rest of the season. Uh, this I might buy this as a Pep overthink more than I've ever bought a Pep overthink before. That I, He doesn't start in this game. I don't think he plays in this game, Jao Cancelo. It's Nathan Ake who gets the goal, who's starting more on the left side. And so I, I guess in that way it worked. But I am baffled by the idea of losing the player that was so influential for you last season and still has so much talent to another team that is competing in the same champions league like that you are. It just, it doesn't make sense to me, Taylor.
1: I think there's no. there's there's been rumors for a few days, sorry to jump in, Taylor, that he's not been getting along famously with Pep as mm. Joe Cancelo. Mm.
3: But between yeah.
2: that and the rumors that Kyle Walker might also be gone in this window, I think he's heavily linked with Fenerbahce and Turkey. That feels like an odd one because Kyle Walker still seems uh, pretty, pretty good. But losing both of those, if that were to happen, would be another, I would say, worrying sign for Man City. Uh but luckily they only have to play Matt Turner maybe two more times. I doubt he plays either of those <laughs> games. But I, I I was I was really pleased with what I saw from Matt Turner, including his distribution. I I thought for the most part, when he did go long, it was I know this sounds like damning with faint praise, but I mean this sincerely, like it was to a player. It was just often Eddie and Ketia surrounded by city players, and I don't think it worked that well. But by contrast, Ederson, I think when he would go along in the direction of Holland, I think once or twice he puts it right on Holland's chest. A couple other times, it's just sort of in his vague vicinity. Turner is usually putting it right on the player. It's just that player is often immediately under fire. But when he comes off of his line in the first uh, like 22 minutes, I think he comes off his line twice to make some big plays. One is Rob Holding uh, doesn't control a pass, and Holland is suddenly through on goal. Turner is there, wins a slide tackle. The other one is uh, Holland has played, I think, vertically through. Turner off his line again to win that one. And the first one especially... I did not expect to see him coming up because of that misplay. It wasn't like, oh, I see what's happening here, and I can sort of cheat and get ahead of it. He has to react when there's that mistake, and yet he still gets there in time. He still backs himself to win it. I thought that just showed a goalkeeper who is really confident. Oftentimes we talk about a player going somewhere to be the backup goalkeeper. We don't love it, Uh, but in this case, it seems like Turner is sort of developing his game in a way that I would have hoped for, so thumbs up to him for this one. I would say thumbs down to this match, broadly speaking. Uh, I I wrote this in the notes. It's that strange phenomenon of two very good teams playing each other, but when it's two very good teams playing similar styles, it sometimes means a lower quality game. It makes me think of the Mitchell and Webb joke when he's pacing around the pitch, hyping up every single game from the weekend, and he drops the gem, the Giants of Charlton play host to the Titans of Ipswich, making them both seem normal-sized. And that was this game. It was basically two incredibly good teams sort of making it seem like two teams that were maybe giving the ball away a bit too much, maybe going vertical vertical a bit too often. I think that's interesting that City tried to go direct to Holland because I think that's something they haven't done like always this season, and I think he's just such a unique threat, uh, and he can bring it down with two defenders on his back. So I think there was some interesting little wrinkles in there, but for the most part, I thought this was a game that was more sort of back and forth, but in a, oh, they went long, oh, they went long, oh, they went long and gave it away. Oh, he tried to hold on to it and gave it away. It was just sort of uh, stilted, disjointed, whatever it may be. I still thought it was really interesting, but I didn't think it was maybe as aesthetically pleasing as I was expecting it to be.
1: All right, well, as I say, two more games uh, between these two sides in the next month, so maybe they will uh, suit your... Aesthetic desire a little so. better, Taylor. We should Let's hope, hope so. so. Uh, Tottenham getting a win there through as well with a 3-0 win at Preston. A goal on his debut for Dan Juma in that one. uh Min Son with a brace. Uh, thumbs up to Son. He gave his coat to a ball kid. He won the internet in that game. Well done to him. Uh, Man United 3, Reading hey. 1. Casemiro with two very nice goals. Two different but very nice goals. Uh, a chip and then a first touch from... 200 yards out, I think it was. Yep. Uh, very, very nicely done. Uh, Fred with a back heel. Goodness me, what was going on in this game? Uh, the highlight for me, Taylor, Paul Lintz, uh, Redding's manager. Man United legend, I guess we can call him of sorts. Um, subbing off the goalkeeper for non-tactical reasons. Just to give just to give the lad a run out, which I thought was brilliant in the FA Cup when he's at Old Trafford, why not do that? And uh, maybe a thumbs down for Andy Carroll for a red card, for yeah. um, his second yellow, for a tackle on Casemiro, which was... Almost a day late, it felt like.
2: Yeah, some rough challenges here. We have uh, Erickson also going off with injury. That's why Fred is on the pitch, and there is that red card uh, to Andy Carroll. Uh, I, that said, when Andy Carroll was going into any challenge, I think this might be a red guard. So I guess I wasn't that surprised by it. Uh, I did love the goals from Casemiro. I did love uh, Fred getting in on the action. And I did love Paul Ince, who has the greatest note of all time. I reference this wherever yes. I can. When they zoomed in on his notepad, uh, he was taking notes during the game about what they needed to do differently. And the note simply said, shoot, with an underline. Yep. And that is terrific
1: work by him. Uh, almost as good as subbing off your goalkeeper. Route one stuff. Gotta love Paul Lince. Uh Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about some continental games, including big losses in Serie A for Milan and Juventus back shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com
1: Toto Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to Italy, where top of the table Napoli remained top of the table Napoli after a 2-1 win against Roma. Uh, Before this game, Tater, the Ultras, the Roma Ultras, uh, they unveiled a banner outside the Colosseum that read Zaniolo traditore e merda senza onore." Zaniola is a traitor and a poop without honour, said this banner. Uh, He's not being impressed, uh, impressed the fans very much, basically tried to get a move away. Uh, I think he tried to go to Bournemouth. He tried to go somewhere else as well. Um, and he basically refused to play for the club. And Jose Mourinho has hung him out to drive for it. So yep. <laughs> Zaniolo, uh, basically, if you talk to people here, I've been, had a few conversations over the weekend. He was chased by
2: a mob. He was yep. chased by a mob. They,
1: literally, <laughs> he is the, the biggest topic of conversation in Rome at the moment. They're obsessed with how much uh, everybody hates him, Taylor. W- what is it that, like... I don't know much about this story. I just saw that story, that
2: he had been chased by the mob, the police were called, and I like the joke that the police then got out of their car and continued to chase along with the mob after Zaniolo, such so was their frustration with him. Is it? <laughs> is it, like, I, again, I don't know much. Was he expected to be this, like, difference maker player and just isn't doing well? Like, they had a similar situation with Rick Karsdorp, but that's a right back who I don't think is quite as highly regarded is it is it the money spent is it the wages is it just is has he been that bad is he turning and shooting into his own goal what is prov- like provoking this
1: ire I think it's a, there's a healthy dose of hindsight because if I, I spoke to some Roma fans over the weekend and they're like, "Oh, we, should, we need to get rid of him. He's, he's rubbish." I was like, "Was he was he rubbish before? He didn't want to play for Roma." Just just curious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess no.
3: I'm gonna guess no. Uh, also, I mean, we are we're living in a simulation that a move from Roma to Bournemouth is a desirable one for any player. Once again, I think I said this sometime last week. The Premier League is the Super League.
1: Done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it, maybe it was Milan as well. He was linked with, and maybe that was a bit fiercer uh, the, uh, the the rumors there. But all the same, uh, why don't we talk about Napoli? I don't know if anyone caught this game, but mm-hmm. um, Victor
3: Osiman with oh. I'm going to call it the goal of the weekend. Oh. Yep. Un- that's an unbelievable moment. I'll I'll talk through the goal in just a second, but it's hilarious that this comes from Cavaradonna. That is, it seems like every time I watch Napoli play, you just cannot stop those two players. From changing the game, I, it's ridiculous at this point, and maybe neither one of them will still be in Italy by the time next season kicks off. But it, it certainly looks like they're going to lift the trophy in syria this year. Ninety-two percent chance for Napoli to win syria Ninety-two percent. It is January thirtieth, folks, as we're recording this. So crazy how big Napoli's lead has gotten. Even without Juve's point reduction, they would still be, you know, a at- top of the table by a large margin. The goal. Kavardana plays the ball in from the left side of the box to Osiman, who's on the right side of the box, over, like, five different Roma defenders, none of which can can figure out how to get their head on a ball or a foot on the ball. And Osiman, I believe, chests it, then he he hits it with his right thigh, and then he hits it with the top of his right foot. And shoot, I can't remember if he roofs it or not, but it thumps oh, he in roofs the back it. of the net. Oh, yeah. he Okay, roofs he roofs it. it, good. I don't think there was much aim, to be honest, involved on that shot. I think the, the thought process is, I'm going to hit the tar off of this ball, And he absolutely did. That is one of my favorite goals of the season so far. Just a lovely moment. That gets Napoli 1-0 up in this game. Then Roma come back and score. Napoli get the winner later on in this match. But man, yet another impressive moment of skill from Napoli's two best players and another result for Napoli as they march towards the Serie A title. Ossinen is
2: so good at so many things, it's almost unfair. He is, like, he's obviously smaller than Erling Haaland, but he has that same combination of ridiculous speed, but also strength, but also technical ability. The strength thing is the one that I tend to forget, but a number of times in this game, he just just backs into a defender and knocks them back a good couple feet. He, he holds the ball up so well, especially on throw-ins. That seemed to be a thing that they would throw it into his feet, and then uh, Kfaradano would make that overlap or that underlap, and it would be a quick little combination, and away they go. Uh, but then obviously for the goal, the chest, the thigh, the volley, the roof, it just—it's he's so good across the board. He's so much fun to watch. I really hope they don't get any sort of points deduction. Though, if they did get a 13-point deduction, that puts them, I think, neck and neck for a title race. So you never know. Maybe that could end up being interesting. Uh, but I thought this was just a, another very good game from Napoli and the type of game that... I think you look back on as being instrumental in their title challenge because Roma very clearly okay with the draw. El Shirawi comes on at halftime, gets the goal. It's it's and it's Jose Mourinho's team basically doing Jose Mourinho things. It's playing defensively, it's getting the ball wide, it's lumping into the box, it's getting numbers there to make something happen. And in this case, it kind of bounces to El Shirawi at the back post. He puts it in. And at that point I'm thinking, credit to Jose. Like he 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 played a Jose game, he changed things up and he got the point. And then Napoli come back and uh, Gio Simeone with the goal. It's a great little, I think, I think like his feigning left and then turning right is what throws Smalling off. The commentator suggested that they thought the ball was going out wide to Zielinski. And so uh, Simeone threw them off that way. But either way, I think this turn is just so clever from him. Uh, that he then is able to rifle that one into the back of the net, but it's it's a goal for Napoli that I think in seasons past when they were theoretically challenging for the title or trying to run Juve close or Inter close, they they just they fell in these moments. They would go, they would get these draws, they would get disappointing draws, so they would give up one at the end, and it just wasn't there like there to be. And in this case, that they kind of find a way through, especially against a Roma team who, after they equalize, have nine outfield players behind the ball and are just content to defend and frustrate and foul as need be not a shot at Roma. It's just, they're trying to get the point. They know where they are on the table. They know what they need and they're doing what they can, but Napoli find a way through and find a way to win. And that seems to be the story of them this season. So uh, a big old thumbs up for OC Man, a big old thumbs up for Napoli for getting the win.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, Thumbs up, from me, for the underdogs of Serie A, Sassuolo and Monza this weekend. Uh, Milan losing 5-2 at home to Sassuolo. Uh, their fourth defeat in five, uh, that was for Milan. So a lot of pressure on them at the moment. Sassuolo 16th in Serie A, so a massive shock loss there for Milan. And also for Juventus at home, 2-0 loss to Monza. Uh, Juve down in 13th, 3 uh, because of reasons as well as uh, losses like this. Hmm. Um, you may remember, Taylor, in December, Monza's president, Silvio Berlusconi. Remember mm-hmm. him? Monza's president, Silvio Berlusconi. Uh, he promised Monza's player a bus full of members of the world's oldest profession if mm-hmm. they beat either Milan or Juventus this season. Oh, boy. So the bus is coming. <laughs> I should have known that would be
2: your, your major takeaway from the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how publicized that will be knowing Berlusconi I'm gonna guess Very. fairly <laughs> exactly <laughs> but man that is uh that's quite the promise and quite the assumption that that's what everybody is into but uh I guess he knows his players better than I do uh there's so, uh, an amount of projection in that one
1: I think Taylor. I, I would that.
2: I would guess yes it's like <laughs> I'm gonna get it from my players aka me at my house I'll be on that yeah. bus you could share my bus but, man, uh, not great times for Juve, uh, especially losing Weston McKinney. I'm sure that's the one that everybody's truly upset about in Turin. Uh, but also this loss, coupled with the points deduction, coupled with the kind of vulnerabilities in the squad, not a great time to be a Juve fan. Definitely a better time to be a Monza fan. Questionably a better time to be a, a Monza player. Uh, also, <laughs> a thing that I continue to track after we got this lister question, Uh, We still have no wins for Elche and no wins for Cremonese. So, so far, we made the prediction. We had to add the question, which team is more likely to go winless in the whole season? And I think we all said Elche was more likely to get a win. I believe that's what we said. No, we Mm. said Cremonese. I can't remember anymore. Joe, do you remember? I do not remember, Taylor. I think it was whichever one was closer. And I think La Liga was closer overall, so it felt Uh, like it was going to be harder to get points. But I might be wrong.
3: Let me see if I can find it.
2: Either way, they both remain winless, so it doesn't really matter yet. Marvelous.
1: Uh, let's quickly move over to La Liga. Uh, Barcelona getting a 1-0 win over Girona. Uh, Pedri. Pedri with the goal once again on his 100th Barca game. He made his debut, I look this up, in September 2020. 100 games since then. So, yeah, that's quite a lot of games, I guess, for Pedri. <laughs> Elche we... more likely
2: to go winless. There we go. There it is. There it is. Okay.
1: Thank you for the update there. I know uh, you were really worried to who else's win list this weekend. Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, a 1-1 draw in that one. Uh, Sociedad escaping Taylor with a draw. I think we can call that 20 shots from Madrid Mm. to Sociedad's 7 in this one. Uh, Opened up the gap at the top of the table. Real now five points behind the aforementioned Barcelona.
2: Indeed, and it's a reminder of what it's like to have those two as kind of that two-horse race. Uh, Some questions about if La Real could potentially be uh, title contenders Uh, for Ancelotti. He said he thinks it's a little bit too soon for that. But the narrative seems to be Real Madrid like having a terrible, disastrous January. And I looked it up, and they lost to Barca, and they drew this game. Uh, I think they also maybe lost a cup game, but I don't know how important that one was. But I think they're five points behind, uh, 18 of 36 games played, so there's still plenty of time. Uh, they lost two in January, drew one. It's not great, but I kept expecting the narrative to then be like, okay, so they're going to reinforce. They're going to make their team much stronger. They're going to bring in a player or two to kind of push them over the hump to get them back into the form they need to. I was sort of surprised to realize how little Real Madrid have done in the past yeah. three transfer windows. Zero signings in 2021. Uh, they signed Kamavinga for 31 million euros and David Alaba on a free the following season. Then Chiu-Ameni, uh for 80 million and Rudiger on a free this past uh, window. Not a ton of money being spent. they spent 111 million euros since the 2019-2020 season. That's when they brought in Hazard and the like. But they've sold a, a, a total of 175 million in players. So... Real Madrid doing well to balance their books. It just means that they have to do things like play Eduardo Camavinga as a left back, uh, which happened in this game. It's happened previously. It happened in 2021. Things went poorly. That's when they lost to Sheriff Tiraspore in the Champions League. They went all out attack. It did not work. But Danny Carvajal is injured. Uh, Ferlan Mendy is injured. Lucas Vasquez, David Alaba also out. So a lot of potential fullbacks not able to play. So in came Camavinga, and he did... Fine. Uh, he was dribbled past four times, five for 12 in duels, positioning off a number of different times when it came to the defensive side of things. But I think when you play Eduardo Camavinga at left back, it's much more about the attack, and he is very involved. He uh, like gives, I think because he's on the side with uh, Vinicius, Encelotti uh, uh, talked about this. Uh, our left back needs to play more inside than outside. Kamavinga does that well, so it's basically using him as an interior attacker so that Vinicius has just sort of room uh, to operate, uh, freedom to cook, uh, and and that's mostly how this game went, except that they didn't get any point, or the the full three points. Benzema failed to score. Yeah, I don't that's know what the concerning we're part. In, right? Exactly. That,
3: I was just about to say, Taylor, I don't, honestly, I think it's all credit to all of us that we still showed up for work today. Benzema didn't score. Right? Things are weird. Things are wrong. It doesn't feel great today, but I guess we press on.
2: The TSS flag uh, is at half-mast. Whenever Karim Benzema fails to score on a weekend, we do lower the flag for one day.
1: Indeed. Mm. Bayern's flag at Haasmasters as well, Tater, I Mm. think, at the moment. uh, Only draws they seem to be capable of. Bayern Munich won, Eintracht Frankfurt won. Bayern's fourth tie of the year in all competitions, their third uh, Bundesliga draw of 2023. Where do we put our thumbs, Joe, for Bayern's performance this
3: weekend? Okay, so I want to put my thumbs up for uh, the Bundesliga title race more than anything, to be honest. I don't have a lot of thumbs generated in Bayern's direction but I guess this is a thumbs up towards Bayern as well for their performance in this game and this season. There is still something of a title race. I know I talk about the Bundesliga being broken. I still generally believe that it is broken, but there are four teams within 3 points of Bayern Munich at the top of the table. That's that's one game that could conceivably put, you know, four teams level with Bayern on points at the top of the Bundesliga. I love that, and I do appreciate Bayern Munich maybe underwhelming slightly in moments like this, so they can save up for the Champions League that's coming up later in February. They can save up for their late-season push and let us sort of enjoy this toy that's been dangled in front of us. I do appreciate that. I want to give thumbs-up to, to a couple Eintracht-related things in this match. First of all, thumbs-up to Randol Kolomowani, who scores a lovely goal. It's not as good as Victor Ossiman's goal, Uh, has a really nice moment in the 69th minute of this game. It's an equalizer after Leroy Sané's goal in the 34th minute for Bayern. Moani receives the ball on the left side of the box with the outside of his right foot, and he just sort of holds and holds and holds and waits. Daya Opamecano comes out and matches up against him, and then once Moani finds the right moment, the moment that he's happy with, he takes a, a big touch towards goal with the inside of his right foot. So it's outside, 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 big touch towards goal with the inside of his right foot, and then hits a lovely hard shot to the bottom right corner of the goal with his left foot. It is, it's it's a perfect goal. It's like a goal that you get scored. It's a goal that's scored on against you in Sunday League as a defender where you just, like, don't feel good afterwards. You don't feel good about yourself. You don't feel good about your performance. It's a lovely goal for Moani. I like him a lot. The other thumb that I want to give for Eintracht is, I think, thumbs up to their, basically, their pocketbooks. I think Rendell Kolo Mawani is going to make them a lot of money. He was heavily linked towards Manchester United. Earlier in the transfer window, Wout Weghorst seems to have been that player instead. But, I mean, Bayern have been linked to him. I don't know when or if that's going to happen. But I would be surprised if Rendell Kolomwani is in the Bundesliga, or at least is in the Bundesliga for a team not named Bayern Munich for too much longer. Yeah. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's a great player, but I think he's a good player. And moments like this show, moments like the one he had against Bayern this weekend, show how good he can be.
2: Yeah, Joe, you, I think you did sort of. You did a good job of covering your bases, so maybe we haven't cursed them entirely. But that does feel like the announcement comes tomorrow that Bayern Munich have agreed yes. to a pre-contract deal with him. So, yes, hopefully that does not happen. As you, as we <laughs> talked about already, Joao Cancelo seems likely to end up at Bayern. That does feel like a, a signing they need. They also have some fullback issues and some some defensive issues. Uh I think they had 3 17-year-olds on the bench, only one of them playing in this game. Uh and that is not necessarily Like, uh, a bad thing, but I think it does show you that there's not quite the depth that we would have expected for Bayern Munich, so I think Giaconcelo could be a difference maker, and then obviously they'll reinforce in the summer. Uh, But I was surprised to see uh, amongst the 17-year-olds, there's an Ibrahimovic, not related to Zlatan, though. A 17-year-old Ibrahimovic, I thought maybe he's got a son that we've never heard about, but alas, alas, no. I was surprised by that. I was surprised that Daily Blind signed for Bayern Munich without me... Noticing that, shocked to see him on the bench. Also shocked to see John Brooks starting for Hoffenheim. Yeah. Joe, sure, that was not one that I saw happen. Uh, I knew that he had left Benfica. I did not know that he had ended up at Hoffenheim, uh, but he starts in a loss for them this weekend versus Gladbach.
3: John Brooks about to be Tim Ream for 2026, baby. Book it. Book it right now.
2: <laughs> I will not book
3: that.
1: Fair All enough. Right. Well uh, let's uh let's book the weekend review instead, shall we? Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always conversing with you about all things weekend. Except for the first segment and the first half of the second segment. <laughs> I believe you, Ryan. Correct. Thank you. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir. Yeah,
3: right back at you, Ryan.
1: And listener, thank you very much for joining us on this journey. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to have a little more fun. We've got a great Discord on there and much, much, much more bonus content. We'll be back on the feed shortly, including with that USMNT-themed Tuesday show. But for now, bye!